You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. The stock market can crash. A parent loses a job and could no longer finance your education. Uh, The fragile item that held so many memories in your home is destroyed along with the home itself in a fire. You drop your phone in the to- uh, I mean in the river, in the river. You drop your phone in the river. Someone steals your identity online. And life is immediately complicated. Something you said was misunderstood and the wrong version of what you said goes viral. And you lose friends by the dozens and your reputation is ruined. An automobile accident or a medical diagnosis threatens to take one of the most precious people in the world from you. Or a stroke keeps the words that are in your brain from forming in your mouth. As Paul David, or David, uh, Paul David Tripp said, when we ask the present to give us what only eternity can give, We end up driven, frustrated, discouraged, ultimately hopeless. Most of us don't ask the present for for all of these things. We demand that the present give us all of these things. And then life happens. Praise God he has a plan For us to focus on treasures that cannot be destroyed. I I love what David said this morning. And I, I, I can't repeat it verbatim. But when he was introducing it is finished. That this side of the resurrection. That's true for us already. It is finished. We know that. We have eternal life with Christ. If we believe him. It is ours already. So I'm really sorry if you were coming here looking for a Joel Osteen style. God will give you everything you want. It's just God displaying himself in the world to give you so much. (laughs) I hope it's not that kind of sermon you were looking for this morning. Uh, Look, that kind of sermon is only a tease. Though it seems relevant in a world full of possibilities where technology and wealth make it feel like you will live forever and that this life is yours for the taking. If you only have faith, you've got to have faith. You hear that in a lot of churches, but the faith that's being talked about is faith in faith. Just faith in some sort of idea that the universe will be good to you if you were good to it. But the kind of faith being promoted in this sermon by Jesus is a faith in Him and in His finished work on the cross that takes away the penalty of our sin. The guilt that we have because of our sin and the penalty of our sin. Think about it. God poured out his wrath on Jesus to save us. And yet, life so easily becomes about us, about reaching our full potential, about building kingdoms for ourselves. Now, don't misunderstand where I'm going. This is not, the idea is not, Jesus saved you. Now go out and have a terrible life so that you can prove your worth and your worthiness of being saved. In the first place, no one is worthy to be saved. We're saved by his grace or his unmerited favor. Furthermore, God loved us at incomprehensible levels. And he said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, or life to the full. You read the, 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 the writers of the New Testament, and, and joy is just, in spite of their circumstances, being in prison, having suffered great persecution, they're, they're just joyful. Life is full for them in Christ and, and, and we're reminded often in the New Testament, though, as Jesus said in, in Luke 12, 15, our life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. It is a mercy 
to be reminded that a believer's treasures are not on this earth, but are rather in heaven with Jesus, in God's kingdom, in eternity. And look, the notion of, oh, don't speak all these horrible things. These horrible things are going to happen. They're going to happen to us. Whenever God designs for them to happen, a lot of bad stuff happens here. What we can speak, though, is life in Jesus Christ, regardless of our circumstances. In our month in Matthew, which has become a month and more in Matthew, our text this morning is Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. Ricky Lee is going to finish us off next week from Matthew 5. Uh, Today's text will address the condition of our hearts and point us toward Jesus. After the scripture is read, I'm going to give just a brief comment on the first portion of the text and then offer uh, uh, seven biblical principles from the text and related texts that will provide plenty of practical advice from God's word. And so, as I read, would you just allow God's word to examine your heart. Jesus was very forthright, straight, forward, to the point in the Sermon on the Mount. And when he comes to calling us to evaluate, not really calling us to evaluate, he just says, don't do this, do it this way. Uh, His words are just as encouraging as they are piercing. So if you would, please stand, as is our custom for the reading of of Scripture, out of respect for God's Word. Matthew, verse 6, or chapter 6, verses 19 to 34 in the English Standard Version. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in, and still, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, since I'm not going to really dwell on this portion of the text, just say he's talking to relatively poor people here. And so some of these guys didn't know where food or even water would come from. Others, probably like many of you, like I am, the instant, you know, as I'm eating my lunch, especially if we're out on the road somewhere, As I'm eating lunch, I'm wondering, where are we going to eat dinner? You know, it's like, and he's saying, don't look. Just, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you... By being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. That's a good word, isn't it? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Our Father, we readily acknowledge that there is trouble aplenty in this world, in this day and tomorrow. And yet, you are the Lord of the universe, the King of all creation. And our King, if we follow you, Jesus. So give us hearts that seek first after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those hearts are not natural to us. Supernaturally, Lord, transform us by the beauty and the truth. The unwavering truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, most of what we have read in Matthew chapter 6 is self-explanatory. Understanding this text is not our problem. Living according to this text. Living the life that Jesus has called us to live. That's our problem. That's our challenge. Uh, a few comments on the culture and a bit of explanation on, on the one section that is a bit... Difficult to understand about the I being single and the I being bad. Um, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, to, so, so that'll help prepare us for the application that is all the way through this text. Look, it is evident from the start that, that the earthly treasures Jesus warns against are mostly material, although a far broader application could and should be made here. Look, this may shock you, but in the ancient world, people were very concerned about clothing. I mean, they, it was a big deal what you wore. And, and, and especially the Gentiles that he was talking about, many of them wore clothes to indicate just how wealthy they were. It was kind of a way of, 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 of exalting themselves and showing off, uh, parading their wealth before those who had less than they. And look, when are you rich enough? When are you wealthy enough? If this is a pursuit of yours, when are you ever going to be, be wealthy enough to be satisfied? Because the instant you achieve a certain level, you look at somebody else and you think, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that level. Now I'm kind of looking for that level. Since no one ever thinks today about design or quality of clothing, it's probably difficult for you to relate, or, or maybe not. In the first century, people weren't able to store their gold and their silver in the local bank or with a stock brokerage, a brokerage firm as they are today. So one's material possessions were always at risk. They're just as much at risk for us today, although it's maybe not quite as near to our mind. We think that our stuff is secure. We've got smoke alarms Carbon monoxide alarms, we got seat belts, we got all kinds of ways to protect ourselves. And we think everything's safe, but it's really not. And Jesus is saying, don't put your hope in these things. <clears throat> and when Jesus is saying these commands of his with such directness to people who had so little... How much more should we who have so much pay attention to the hold that possessions can have on us? <clears throat> From the negative to the positive in verse 20. Instead of treasuring earthly goods, put your treasures in heaven <clears throat> where they cannot be destroyed. What does it mean to lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven? Well, all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has said, don't pursue the, the applause of man because if you, if you do what you do for the applause of man, then you already have your reward. But you just pray in secret, give in secret, just do everything you can. <clears throat> really, but make it between you and the Lord and your heavenly Father who sees will <coughs> reward you. Furthermore, uh, he's saying in this text, both directly and indirectly, that it is to lay up treasures for ourselves is to give 
to advance the cause of the already not yet kingdom of God, and that includes helping the poor. You may be saying, I don't recall that in the text. Well, uh, we'll see about that in just a moment. But verse 21 ought to cause every one of us to stop and consider these words that expose our hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about that for just a moment. Where is your treasure? Verses 22 and 23 may be the only verses in the text that create a bit of of confusion. What does it mean for your eye to be healthy or good? And what does it mean for your eye to be bad so that darkness comes into your light? Without question, there's, there's the idea of where your focus is. If your focus is on the kingdom of God, then your whole body is full of light and it pours out. If your focus is on your own kingdom, then your eye is unhealthy. It's bad. And sooner or later, that corruption that is inside will be exposed. Uh, The word translated healthy in verse 22 is directly connected with the word generous in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek, and as we've talked about a lot, these New Testament writers, when they quoted the Old Testament, would quote the Greek translation. And when they use a word in their writings that comes from the Septuagint, it's significant. And this is the same word that's in Proverbs translated uh, generous for, for good. And then bad is associated, in verse 23, is associated with greedy or stingy. Proverbs 11.25, as translated in the NIV, is a good example. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Look, if you're taking notes, I I should have had this one on the screen. I don't, but it's very important. Proverbs 22.9 is direct. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. The opposite is described in Proverbs 23, 6. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy or, the way it would be said in Jesus' time, a man with a, with a, with a bad eye. Do not to eat the bread of one who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. Then he goes on in verse 7 and, and says, because if he gets you to eat his bread, if a stingy man gets you, he's got an ulterior motive. He's expecting something coming back or he's... Wanting something out of you, but don't, don't you believe that it's free? There's an expectation involved, or, a, or there are strings attached. Isn't it amazing the way that God has uniquely made each of us? I just, I was talking with Allison about it yesterday. Allison teaches fourth grade. She loves to teach fourth grade. She's a great teacher. She tells me some of the things that she does, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow, that is just so great. And I'm amazed at, at how most teachers very quickly sort of settle into their place. Now, some of you may have been trying to get a teaching job, uh, and, and, and they're not readily available, but somehow they're just the right amount of first-grade teachers and second-grade teachers and third-grade. I mean, specific grades. Allison said, oh, I, I would just be horrified to think about teaching high school. And I said, yes, and the high school teachers would be horrified thinking about teaching fourth grade as well. It's just we're made a certain way. And, and some of us are just given, by the grace of God, generous hearts. There's danger there, as we'll talk about in just a moment. And some of us are not given generous hearts. We tend to be naturally close to the vest, Counting the pennies, taking care, make sure that we do our duty, but, but that's about it. One thing is for certain. Every single one of us is called to be generous. Generous toward the work of the ministry and generous to those who have less than we. I'm going to post on the city this week. It's a great blog by Scott Sauls. I've sent it to the... To, to the staff and to the elders and deacons. Um, 
and, and I think it will just encourage you in, in ramping up. I have been so convicted the last six months to a year about uh, the need in my own life. Alice and I have talked about this a lot to give to those who are in need and, and, and who are poor. And scripture supports that. In fact, that's why I've been so convicted. It's just like every verse just opens up and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If God has made you a generous person, proceed with caution. Do not allow yourself self to look down on others who you perceive to be less generous. If God has given you a generous spirit, thank Him for His generosity. Don't thank Him for your generous spirit, lest you be like the man who prayed in the temple. Lord, I thank Thee that I am not like others, like this sinner over here. But I tithe, I fast, I pray, I do all of these things. It is so easy, is it not, to get like that? Whatever good things we do, we start to say, Hmm. Wow. Well, thank thee, Lord. No, just say, thank you for your generosity to me. Look at what you have done for me. Give me a grateful heart as I give to others. Jesus directed his harshest criticism toward the self-righteous, toward those who look down on others. It's not a mistake that Matthew 7 that we read from last week, I, I, I was very grateful for the opportunity to go back and, and spend extra time in Matthew 7, but I had just sort of tacked it on in this little, little piecing together of the Sermon Amount we're doing because it's so relevant to all the things that Jesus commands us, don't do this, don't do that. And when you start following his commands, it's easy to become a judge. He says very clearly, judge not so that you be not judged. As Tim Keller puts it, the quickest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. And we can be just as proud of our poverty as we are of our wealth. Judging other people all of Jesus said, no, don't. Just look. Just turn your head right here. When I had those little children, got grandchildren coming in today, I can't hold them, can't hold my 15-year-old granddaughter like I used to. But, uh, and, and my children, when, I, when my children were little, I'd be holding them, you know, and I'd be talking to somebody at church, and they would take that little, you know, they would <laughs> do that. And keep your focus where it belongs. Jesus encouraged his followers to focus on themselves rather than others. So, is your eye a generous eye? Is it healthy? If so, your body is likely full of light. Is your eye toward your possessions and the needs of others a stingy one? Do you find it too difficult to give to the church or to the poor because of your 21st century needs? Beware of darkness that accompanies such a spirit. So, it is a good time for me to talk just a little bit about what Jim was saying this morning in the prayer time. Um, I, I got to tell you, if this is your first time here, you're thinking, wow, first time there and the preacher's talking about money. Really? I, I don't very often. Usually when I do talk about money, I talk about it very directly. But Scripture talks about... You'd be shocked at how much there is talk in the Old Testament, the New Testament, about what we do with our, our money. And, and how we spend our money and give our money reveals a great deal about our heart as we've already talked, talked about. Look, we're seeking to pay off our church building this year. And the elders, as Jim said, are calling for generous hearts, not just from themselves. We are, we are, as we're asking, or not just from you, the congregation, we're doing this first. We're doing our own pledges and, and saying this is what we want to do. Privately, nobody knows who's doing what. 
but, but we have encouraged each other to be generous before we even began to think about asking others. Um, it is, as Jim was just praying, that was really a powerful prayer this morning as, as Jim recounted the, the goodness of God leading this church from, from, from homes to the little cinder block building to the Ruritan building to the middle school and then over <clears throat> to here. I, it, it's difficult to think about what the ministry of the gospel through Grace Community Church would be without this building. One of Lee's uh, real burdens this morning was to say, um, as Jim pointed out, Lee said, yes, absolutely, when we were talking about this in the elders' meetings. Jim said, a lot of people who were here never really had a chance. There were a lot of people here who gave a lot of extra money for a long time. And in fact, a lot of them just kept giving that extra money every month after their three-year commitment was through. It's taken us too long to pay this building off. It is time to pay it off. And look, if you've been coming for a while and this is your home, help us do that. I am certain that the old codgers, all us guys that were around the first time when we moved in here are going to give something. Because our hearts are, 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 are here and our hearts connect with God's heart in this place. But those of you who were new, this is a great opportunity for you to get involved and, and, and to just blend. Let's all blend together and let this be our place. We're Look, we've got all kinds of thoughts about moving forward, but honestly, part of our <clears throat> lack of a reason to stand up here and say, now, the next step is this, so that you'll get all encouraged, is because we don't know where things are going in society. We are holding on for just a little bit, but we desperately need space in the back. Keisha, my goodness, every day I hear about, every Sunday I hear about, well, this family was there and they had four kids. Think about it. Two workers, maybe, much later, and only four kids. We're, we're packed out in the back. We, we don't have any room for, for kids. It is a wonderful thing. One of the great things that, that's so exciting to me is that young Christian families all over the United States are adopting and they're, they're having three and four kids. and it, that, That's a wonderful thing. That's a big part of our gospel ministry. If you believe any, you understand anything about the way God works through his covenant. He does it that way. And so we need more space in the back. We could go to two services. We could go to three or four services in this place. But we got to have room back there. We need space soon. And if the Lord so brings revival to our land and blesses us, as Jim mentioned this morning, we got a lot of property here. The Lord has blessed us with a lot of property. And kind of like this bit on the corner, you could be praying about that as well. There are a lot of things that we can begin to think and pray about for the future. But right now, let's finish paying off this building. Some may not particularly like the idea of pledges. We're going to put those forms in the just for you to take home and just to, to, to pray about. But just think about how many pledges you make in your life. Think about it the next time you're asked for a credit card to kick in after your free month of service. And, and how many times have you said, well, I'll just get this free month and then I'll cancel. And you don't. You're making a pledge right up front and you're pledging when you buy a car, when you buy a house, any of that. So let me just make a couple of suggestions about giving. And this is really, again, since I don't preach about it that often, I want to be very direct about this. First, always give your tithe to the general fund of a church. There is a, a level of trust in that. Just trust the Lord. Well, I don't trust these people that spend it. Well, go somewhere else if you don't trust the people that spend it. I shouldn't have said that, but... <laughs> but I'm glad I did! <laughs> Look, there are a whole lot of people involved in, in planning the budget and spending the money. It's not just the elders. I can assure you of that. Yeah, cathartic things are real. Well, never mind. I just need to go on. 
Um, but give your, give your tithe to the general fund of whatever church you're attending. If this is not the one, this is not the place for you, then do it somewhere else. Look, the Old Testament, t- tithing is not as clear a, a, a command in the New Testament as it is in the Old Testament. But the principle big time applies. Just like all the, the, the scripture in the, in the Old Testament about how to raise your children. Very little said about it in the New Testament. But it's already there for us about how we're to raise our children. So, um, one thing is for certain, God requires all of us to have generous hearts. I, I think I said this not long ago, but I tell people who are not believers who are young, let me just encourage you to be a generous person because it is the way the world works. The one who is generous just receives. When he refreshes others, he himself is refreshed. Obviously, none of that means anything long-term if he doesn't know Jesus, but it's a principle of life. If you know Christ, how can you possibly not think about giving 10% of your income to the Lord's work? I don't know how you do it. But there again, see, it's very easy for me to be this guy. I don't even, I don't even think about it. It's just, it's automatic. When you give 10% to the church, then maybe give more of your income to to missionaries. A lot of people do that. Um, We do that, again, just just for the sake of saying, I'm not encouraging you to do something I'm unwilling to do. Alice and I are unwilling to do ourselves. And then when you get extra funds, uh, like bonuses or or, or, or gifts of cash of some sort, inheritance, Powerball lottery, winnings. I mean, whatever, whatever it is you get, tie that to other areas of ministry, opportunity. I mean, just think about all the different ways that you'll be able to help missionaries and teaching ministries that have blessed you and relief and rescue operations and ministries to the poor. This year, would you consider putting... The building fund at the top of your list for discretionary giving. Let's get this building paid off. When you make your pledge, prayerfully establish an amount that God would have you to give, or God would, you're asking God to allow you to give. And look, I'm, I love the old faith promise kind of missionary campaigns that they used to have and say, just. Just pray that God would allow you to give $1,000. And you're thinking, where am I going to get $1,000? Don't give it if he doesn't give it to you. But just pray. If he'll give it to you by faith, say, this is what I'm going to do. And then let the Lord do amazing things. So again, I say it almost every time I talk about finances. But I've never known anybody... To say, you know, we made the decision to start tithing and it just ruined us financially. Never known anybody. Step it up. If you, if you need to start low, 2 or 3%, 4%. But I can tell you, one day when you stand before Jesus, you're going to realize your treasures were in the wrong place if you didn't give to the Lord's work. Without going through the rest of the passage, I want to look at, quickly look at seven principles derived from today's text and from related texts in other places of Scripture. First, your treasure can be here or it can be in heaven, but it cannot be in both places. I really don't need to say anything about that. Because we all get it. I mean, the world doesn't understand Christians who, who give 10% of their money. Christians who live for something that they cannot see, who are willing to be mocked and ridiculed. And it's difficult for all of us. For all of us. Talking to a, 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 a very highly respected Bible teacher recently. He's doing a Bible study in his home and, and his neighbor came and he's like... I found myself just wanting to pull back because I want my neighbor to like. It's hard to live your life no matter what people think. 
but live for the kingdom. Your treasure cannot be in both places. Second, wealth is not sinful, but the love of money is both sinful and destructive. It's one of the reasons that we have to be so careful about judging others. The Lord enables some to be wealthy. He does not allow any of his followers to be stingy and then that's okay. Because it's just the way you are. I get it. Joseph of Arimathea, who provided the tomb for Jesus, had to be a wealthy man. You don't, in the first century, you didn't have a tomb in a garden and not be a wealthy person. Nor could you go to Pilate and have the political moxie to say, I want his body. And Pilate say, okay, you can have it. Without being wealthy. His wealth bought, gave him or opened doors for him. God gives people wealth. So don't be judgmental of that. But remember, if God has made you wealthy, look, truly, relatively speaking, if you put your life up against the people that Jesus was talking to that day, we're filthy rich. Everybody in this room, we're just filthy rich compared to what it, what it was. In the day. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul echoes Jesus' words when he encourages those who are rich in this world to be rich in good deeds, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So when you give and you and you have to do without because you're giving, I, I, my desire, my hope is that you get to the place where that doesn't even cross your mind like well, I guess I have to give up this because we're giving 10% to the church. Don't, don't even think like that. But, but the world looks in you, and, and, and when you every once in a while you think back and say, what could I have done with that money that I gave this past year? Do you know what you're doing with that money that you did give this past year? You're laying a foundation. Treasure in heaven. Paul warns against haughtiness and against the desire to be rich because such desires drive people to see a treasure that only pertains to this life. Next, taking care of yourself and your family is expected. Obsessing over them is sinful. Our text reminds us that God is the one who truly takes care of us. All over the Bible, though, we are told to take care of ourselves and to provide for our families. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says that if anyone is not willing to work, he should not eat. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Infidel. And by the way, the primary people he's talking about there is parents. If you don't take care of your parents. He's not saying take care of your children. Because a lot of people justify not giving to, to the poor, not giving to the Lord's work, because they got to take care of their children. Because I can't have my child go to school in hand-me-downs. I can't this, I can't that. No. Take care of your family... You're absolutely commanded to. Even so, Jesus said in, in Luke 14, 26, that if anyone comes to, to me and does not hate his parents, his wife, his children, his siblings, and his own life, that person cannot be my disciple. Now, what you need to understand about hate and love here, Jesus was... Uh, employing a Semitic idiom that doesn't mean hate in the same that we, same way we understand it today. It's it's hyperbole of a sort. It's the same thing that he was saying about you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, or you'll love that one and hate this one. He's he's essentially just putting it out there. These are two extremes, and if you're too far in this direction, this is what's the case. And when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, you got to love him at that level. That he's more important than anybody or anything. Again, it's not the way we would use the words, but you get the point. Fourth, when you stand before Jesus, and likely much sooner, 
the location of your treasure will be revealed. When you find a person's treasure, you will find his or her heart. Sooner or later, the truth about our hearts will be revealed. I read recently, I think it was on Twitter somewhere, and I can't remember. I searched for it, couldn't find it. But it struck me. It said that Christian stewardship has increasingly come to mean uh, that we should manage our 401k retirement plans well. For many of us, it's not about being rich. It's just about being comfortable in retirement. Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? Well, you'll get there pretty soon. You'll, you'll know soon enough. And I would say to those of you who are young, absolutely plan for the day when you... But it is so easy for that to become your master. Just want to be comfortable. Well, what is comfortable? Look, things that... Possessions that we acquire through the years become necessities, right? Anybody here remember taking a 2,000-mile trip without a telephone? <laughs> you know, you just hope you didn't have a flat tire in the middle of nowhere since your spare is no good. You know? Look, but it, it's a necessity. Refrigeration, my goodness, air conditioning, heat. It's a necessity. Fifth, keep your eye on Jesus and do not look away. Do not be distracted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Do not be distracted by an obsession for security that can only be found in the Lord. The next time you're tempted to be anxious... Most of us are tempted every day at some level or not. Or, or you're tempted to sin or you're tempted to hoard the wealth that God has so graciously given you. Turn your eyes to Jesus. You, you don't have somebody doing that. So just stop yourself and just, just focus. Focus on the Lord. That leads us to the sixth point. Rather than worrying about what you do not have or what may happen... Enjoy the relationship with which the Lord continuously blesses you. I think I jumped ahead, Dale, on number six. Jesus asked a pointed question when he asked if your worrying could add one day to your life. Anybody obsessing about living long here? I am. Um, that's why I'm on that tomorrow diet. You know, I'm going to get to it tomorrow. I am going to get to it tomorrow. Because I need to be healthy. I need to be making better choices. I need to be this. I need to be that. We cannot add one day to what God has designed we should live. This life is far, far Less than a drop in the ocean of eternity. And yet we fret about what we do not have and about something that could happen to shorten our lives and thrust us into the great unknown of death. But believers know that when we die, we're not passing from life to death. We're passing rather from death to life. The New Testament writers could not contain the joy of that relationship, such news, the, the joy of a relationship with Jesus flowed into their letters that they wrote to the churches. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Grace Community Church, rejoice in your relationship with Jesus, who invited us to address God as our Father, who art in heaven. And who sent the Holy Spirit that we might never be alone in this world. And who died. That in repentance and faith, we might be related with God come to earth, Jesus. This world is passing. Hold on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. Last point. In the end, all of life is about the locus of your affection. And the object of your trust.
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The Lord's going to take care of you. You're going to have exactly what you need. Just exactly what you need. Not what you want, maybe. But you're going to have exactly what you need. And look... Whatever level you are financially, it's all, we all struggle with the same thing. You know, like, I'm, I'm going to, just let the Lord take care of you. Charles Spurgeon said this, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. What a beautiful reminder that we can always, always trust God. As we move toward the Lord's table to partake of the supper that he provided for us. 2 Corinthians 8-9, written by the Apostle Paul, as he encouraged the Corinthian believers to be generous in their giving to the poor, says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty... You might become rich. What a beautiful, again, reminder of what the Lord has done. Why did he do it? For the joy that was set before him. Which is to fulfill the plan of the Father and also to welcome us to live with him forever. That's what he has done for us. In just a moment. I'm going to pray. And um, actually, I'll just ask the elders and deacons if you would come. If you're serving today at the Lord's table, I'll ask you to come forward. I'll pray in just a moment. And then we will set the table, so to speak. Um, And fence the table. We're going to partake at the front today. And I'm going to ask uh, the elders will... uh, our deacons will let you know when it's your time to come. We'll be coming down this, um, these interior rows and then we'll go back the middle row or the outer rows. And um, if you are unable to come forward, then in the back uh, there will be someone who will, if you'll just raise your hand, Ricky Lee is going to be back there and he's, he will bring the elements to you. If you are not a believer, we invite all those who have believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins and who have trusted that the body of Christ was given and the blood of Christ was shed for our eternal salvation. We invite you to partake with us. If you're not a believer, come forward anyway. Just walk by. It won't be any scene at all. We respect your Decision not to partake if that's the case. Go to the section that is in front of you toward the end. If one section is, is backed up and another one is open, then please slip over uh, to that other one. But, but come as the body of Christ, grateful men and women, that Jesus, though he was rich beyond our wildest imagination, became poor at levels that are incomprehensible to anybody who has ever lived because he died as the father turned his back on him while the wrath of God was being poured out on the son because of our sins. So come with gratitude and expectation that he will come again. And as you come this day, would you say, Lord, give me a heart and I for the kingdom, for, for, for helping those who are in need. And may I lay up a foundation or lay a foundation and lay up for myself treasures in heaven as you want me to do, as you have called me to do. So be encouraged, be nourished at this table uh, as we come. Before I pray, I will read the words of institution from um, 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is only in death that we have eternal life. And it's only as we die to ourselves that we pursue the kingdom of God. Let's give thanks for the Lord's death on the cross. Our Father, we are grateful that in your love you sent your Son to this earth. The Holy Spirit, whom you also sent and whom Jesus sent, reminds us of the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And Lord, we confess that we are indeed a stingy and a selfish people that often has nothing to do with money. We're possessive of our time. We're possessive of our relationships. We just, we just want it all. <laughs> Jesus gave it all for us. Lord, um, as we come to this table, we give thanks. We confess our sin. We are, as I have already stated, a selfish people, and we confess that. We confess our other sins that have been committed because we thought more of ourselves than we thought of you. But we give thanks that Jesus died in our place. And with gratitude, we receive this bread and this cup. And we anticipate the Lord's return. And so we proclaim his death until he comes. Thank you. Meet us at this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has been good. Amen. As you go to your missions this week to which God is calling you, take this word of encouragement with you. First to the Roman church and now to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And let all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.